Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Tobin, you're a musician. Uh, was, am. You are. You're a professional cellist. Once upon a time, I did play the cello. But I'm curious now about other types of music. Okay. Like growing up, what kind of pop music were you into? I I do remember buying the Bare Naked Ladies CD. Oh my God. And going crazy over it. And having a legitimate conversation with my dad where I was like, Dad, listen to these lyrics. They are amazing. What an amazing band. Like, listen to these lyrics, Dad. My poor father just had to be like... Idiot child. From WNYC Studios, this is Nancy. With your host, Tobin Lowe and Kathy Too. Tobin, I want to take you back to a time in my life when you did not exist yet in my world. Mm, I don't. Mm, what? Does not compute? You and I did not meet until 2013. You mean your life began in 2013. Okay, all right. (laughs) I had a different life before 2013. Fair, fair. So this is the year 2010. It's fall in Boston. It was cold, probably snowing, and I just moved there for law school. I had no friends yet. My entire family was on the West Coast, and there was a lot going on. A lot of stuff going on, yeah. And then I went through a terrible breakup with my very first girlfriend. Oh, I'm sorry. And, you know, I just felt like I was being pulled in a million directions. And I was just always so anxious and unfocused and worried all the time. And then in, like, the midst of the brutal Boston winter, Mm -hmm. I discovered this singer-songwriter based in Nashville. Her name is Katie Herzig. Oh, you have talked about Katie before. You have that t-shirt with her face on it. It is my favorite thing in the world, and I love it. You do wear it a lot. For someone who wears usually just plain black t-shirts, the Katie shirt really stands out in your wardrobe. (laughs) In that it is gray. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's, let's plunge back into the brutal Boston winter 2010. There I was, heartbroken, far away from the people who could comfort me, barely keeping it together. And then I hear Katie's music. And it was like this person reached out of my headphones, put her hand on my shoulder, and said, Relax. Her songs felt like someone was wrapping me up in a blanket and keeping me warm. And as I listened, everything sort of slowed down for me. It's like I could breathe more deeply. I don't know how else to describe it, but I think this is the feeling people get when they go to church. Someone will be sitting at the bottom Making sense of all we've forgotten My faith lies somewhere between daisies and views Making sense of all the good news And I'm not the only one who loves her, Tobin. Grey's Anatomy. Oh, God, I've been tricked. This is a pivot. (laughs) This is a Grey's Anatomy story, isn't it? Look, I can't help if the things I love intersect. I learned to read in the OR gallery. I played in the morgue. I colored with crayons on old ER charts. 
God, they love a voiceover on that show. They're so good at them. Okay, so as much as I loved her music, there was something about it that also really puzzled me. It seemed like in a lot of her songs, Katie's searching for something or Mm. yearning for something or like just on the edge of some big transition. And what that was wasn't clear. When you look at her lyrics closely, they're really open-ended. Like here's an example from one of my favorite songs of hers called Close As I Get. Mm -hmm. So the first line of the lyrics go, What if I wait and you don't show if I left you half just to keep me whole? What does that mean? I don't know. Is it for for a suitor? Is it for a family member? The last line of that verse is, what if the closest I get to the moment is now? Oh my God. You can't hear that and not think this person is going through something. To me at the time, I thought about me and my mom and like, what if the closest we ever got to understanding each other was now? And now's horrible. (laughs) So what was Katie going through? Was it also horrible? Was she okay? The more I thought about it, the more concerned I got. I remember searching online to see if she wrote about what she was going through, but there was nothing there but more music and more vague song lyrics. So I didn't have very much to work with. Hmm. Fast forward to a couple months ago when I see something on her Instagram. Okay. And I thought it could be the answer. Oh, okay. But I felt like I really needed to talk to her about it, like really hear it from her. Oh my God. Did you call her and ask? Even better. I went down to Nashville. (laughs) Of course you did. And I'll tell you about it. But first, we have to take a short break. Hey, Nancy listeners. While we've got you here, we want to remind you all about the project we've started called I've Been Meaning to Tell You. Tobin, do you have something you've been meaning to tell me? Yeah. So, you know how sometimes you'll invite me out to, like, a run or something, and I'll be like, oh, I can't, I'm all busy that day. Yeah? I actually hate running. I hate running, too! Then why do you invite me all the time? Because it seems like a healthy thing to do. Oh, my God. Can we never run again? Yeah, the official stance of the Nancy podcast is that we hate running. (laughs) So, listeners, do you have something you've been meaning to tell or ask someone, but you haven't gotten around to it? Because we'd love to hear what that is. Go to nancypodcast.org slash tell to share your story with us. Go ahead. Start a conversation. Kathy, I want to tell you about one of my actual favorite podcasts, Las Culturistas. You talk about that show all the time. Yeah, it's like hanging out with your smartest, funnest, most pop culture savvy friends. It's hosted by Bowen Yang, you might know him from SNL or Nora from Queens, and Matt Rogers of Game Show and our cartoon president. Love them. Each week, they interview an amazing guest about the pop culture that shaped their life, and they do this hilarious thing where you can rant about a piece of culture that frustrates you. Mine would be speaking only roles in musicals. Okay. Episodes are released every Wednesday. Listen and subscribe to Lost Culturistas on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I flew down to Nashville, Tennessee to meet Katie Herzig. Katie lives at the top of a very steep driveway. And when I say steep, I mean like basically 45 degree angle with multiple turns. But once you reach the top, you see a gorgeous house that looks like it's tucked into the side of a hill. You made it up the driveway. I did! Hi! Hi. Great to meet you. This is surreal for me. Really? This is so insane. This is me trying not to freak out because I'm talking to Katie Herzig. 
Katie's slender with the same shoulder-length hair that I've seen on her album covers. And she's got these big eyes that makes me feel like she can see into my soul or something. Or maybe that's just my nervousness talking. Anyway, Katie shows me around to the back of her house, and from this vantage point, it looks like we're standing in a giant treehouse overlooking a valley. Oh my god. (laughs) And after I'm done making a fool of myself, gasping at everything inside and outside of the house, we sit down in her studio. So I'm somebody that, like, has a really tough time interpreting lyrics. I just want to know exactly what the person wants to tell me in their song. Yeah. And you're very frustrating because your lyrics are so open to interpretation. Yes. <laughs> that is part of my scheme. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like leaving it. I mean, I slip in some specifics here and there. Yeah. But I love that about music. I, I'm a fan of music that I can latch my own story onto. And I mean, to me, these songs are a combination of things that are very specific to me and things that I just like, I don't know what I'm saying, but it feels right to say. I totally get that. But also, I need to know what that one song meant. The one I mentioned earlier, Closest I Get. The verses took a long time to write. Um, The first verse is about a different person than the last verse. The first verse of that song is basically about a guy I had a crush on who kind of had a crush on me and who we were kind of waiting to see what happened. What if I wait and you don't show if I left you have just to keep me whole what if I held my breath so long would you notice the silence had lasted so long? What if the closest I get to the moment is now? And then the second verse is kind of a reflection of my life with relationships in my history. I have seen love come and go I watched it pass with my heart held close There's no easy way to know if I'm looking back or I'm And then the third verse is kind of like this introduction of, um, you said the words, we knocked on wood, and I'm still here waiting to see what could be. And that's about Butterfly. Love, it has no guarantees which muse will lay its hands on me. We said the words, we know. Now. 
The butterfly she's talking and singing about is Butterfly Boucher. She's another singer-songwriter based in Nashville. How did you two meet? We really started to connect and become friends when we did 10 out of 10, which was a Mm. tour together. 10 artists from Tennessee. (laughs) (laughs) Butterfly was somebody who I was just drawn to. And I, we just wanted to hang out all the time. So when we started working together and met, we were, you know, friends. Well, basically what happened is we had seen Girl with the Dragon Tattoo together. And then the sequel or something was coming out. I was touring with Brandi Carlisle. She was in Australia touring with Sarah McLaughlin. And so she said Sarah had asked her to go see Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in Australia. And I said... I want to go see it. And she's like, well, wait for me to go see it. Because I told Sarah, no. She told Sarah McLaughlin, no. <laughs> she told Sarah McLaughlin, no. I'm not going to go see this with you. In her email, she's like, because I don't have a big crush on Sarah. And I was totally surprised. I was like, I had a lot of feelings. <laughs> <laughs> what, were, um, what, were, what were those feelings? <laughs> Well, first, I felt for her that she was so vulnerable as to tell me that, and I was grateful that she did. Um, but from the beginning, I was like, I, I'm i just not into women, so I, it's not going to happen. Um, and she was like, that's just too bad. And, <laughs> you know, I, had, I grew up only dating guys. I felt quite straight, and that's kind of my identity. That's what I knew of myself. Mm-hmm. And so... When she came back to Nashville, she told me, I'm I'm over it. Don't worry about it. We're going to be fine. We're going to be friends. It's not going to change things. Forget about it. I just wanted to tell you. I wanted to be honest. And I could have left it at that, but I was like, but why do I feel so sad? <laughs> oh. Wait, what was that? Part of that sadness to me could have been the sadness of that I'd lose being close to her and she would one day be close to somebody else. Yeah. Um Or maybe the sadness was suddenly I have this thing that was kind of a secret and I'd never had a secret because, and the reason it kind of was, is because I was like, well, it's not going to happen. So let's just not bother telling people. And it's just not having a secret in life or having like to withhold parts of yourself is just, it eats away at your freedom. I hated that feeling so much. close to friends who have struggled with their sexuality and had to, you know, eventually figure out who they want to be, like who they want to be publicly and with their family. And, um, and I've witnessed that as something that is like, 
a relief for them when they've come out and said, I'm gay or I, this is who I am. I've witnessed it to be such a beautiful, freeing thing. And I guess the experience that I have was more of like, I thought I knew who it was. And then it was like a, a drastic shift where I had just a lot of confusion and angst about not knowing how to define who I was. Literally like having to mourn and let go of my straight life. And that, that to me is like a real thing. It's like letting go of who you just spent 33 years knowing yourself to be. And then finally I just let go. I was like, you like this person. Let go of that part of you for a while. You don't have to define or commit to anything. Um, and just let your guard down. You belong to my heart Before you came Just an ache in my chest The blue in my veins And then it turned into this surprisingly beautiful thing mm -hmm. that I didn't think I was um, capable of experiencing with a woman. And when we first, like, held each other, I was like, oh, my God, humans need to be close to other humans. <laughs> it was like, it was so profound. <laughs> and I love this human. This, the term, like, soulmate and, like, love of my life just kept, like, coming back into my mind. Like, this person, I love this person, and I want to be near this person. Mm -hmm. And then all that other stuff of, like, but I'm still attracted to men. And, but I thought... This is what I know of myself and, you know, that kind of stuff is, you know, I mean, I have a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I think because of what I went through, I have a large sensitivity towards people saying like that person's gay and they don't know it kind of thing. Like, mm. or, you know, I just feel like I didn't know it. Like, I didn't know I had this capability to love a woman in me and be with a woman and... And there's nothing, you know, there's there's something that I, I like to and want to, like, honor about a person's experience and um, ability to just move through life without having to be pegged to something before they experience it and um, not having to put too much emphasis on a definition of what that means. Yeah, did you feel a pressure to try to define who you were? Yeah, I think we do that. And I think I was chasing an authenticity. I was chasing, like, more than anything, just wanting to be known. So for me to say I'm gay or I'm straight or I'm bi, like, for me to say who I am in one word, <laughs> it yeah. just felt hard to do because it's like, well, the first 33 years of my life, I felt straight. Then I guess I could say I'm bi and then... I don't know, it just feels like there's a fluidity that I think we don't traditionally leave a lot of room for in how we define ourselves. And then this past February on Valentine's Day, I saw that photo Katie posted on Instagram. She's looking at the camera and butterfly vouchers next to her. They're both wearing sunglasses and together they're holding a poster with a giant heart on it. And surprise, it was clearly a photo of a couple in love. 
But Katie had never posted something like that before. And I wondered at the time, was this the mysterious person that she'd been singing about? Was this the source of the searching and yearning and hoping that had been in her music for the last eight years? So Butter and Fly and I now, you know, have been together, I guess, seven or eight years now. And we've built this life together. And we, in our community with friends and family, we're very much out and have very much integrated our lives um, in a really nice, open, beautiful way. But we never announced it publicly. So she's... She has her own public thing, and I have my own thing. And so on Valentine's Day, I composed a message for a while. I was sitting in the bathroom for probably 45 minutes. (laughs) 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 Oh, I overthink what I post online. (laughs) And then eventually Butter was working upstairs, and I just handed my phone to her. I was like, what do you think of this? And she just got a big smile on her face and was like, I think you should do it. And then I had a moment where I was like, you know, if you, if I died today, I would definitely want everyone to know that I've been with you. So she pushed post, and then I like threw my throne across the room and vacuumed my bedroom. <laughs> and my sister had texted me, and she was like, I'm so proud of you. Oh, just has so much relief. The caption to the photo read, I am lucky in this life to have a love that walks beside me, supports me through all the good, all the grief, all the dream chasing, all the music making, all the never have my mind made up bullshit dot dot dot. With patience and grace and humor and love, I guess I'll finally say it here, after all these years. I love you, Butterfly Boucher. Thank you for being my person. So, I got a, a few questions for Butterfly. Do you think she... Yes. Do you want me to go find her? Yeah. Okay. Hi. Hi. I've got my sexy voice on Good. today. Let's... Butterfly's thin sexy with a swoop of black hair and thick-rimmed glasses. She's a badass. She's an artist, producer, bass player, songwriter. She does it all. Did you, um, Butterfly, did you go through the same journey that Katie did? Emotional journey? I think mine was different because I feel like I had maybe gone through some of the emotional journey that she did in an earlier relationship when I was 17 and it was top secret and was with my best friend, a girl. I knew going into this relationship with her that I couldn't be in a relationship that was a secret. I could not do that again. You are also a musician. Mm -hmm. Were there dueling songs? (laughs) I have written nearly no songs about our relationship, which I don't know if that's really unhealthy or if it was my way of... um, I feel like uh, at the beginning I had to be really, really patient in this relationship, and I feel like if I had written songs during that time, it would have just been like... Make your fucking mad. Yeah, like, yeah, I think I would have been, like, really jaded, and I really didn't want to give out that. <laughs> well, when you said that you were you were patient at the beginning, what was that like? It was hard, and in some ways, you know, patience, I do think, um, 
there's a, a little bit of numbing or suppressing of feelings that goes along with being patient, mm. you know, or self-control. I knew that she needed that space and the time and um, I was like, I have to be, I'm being so patient, but I, I knew what I was in for and I decided it was absolutely worth it. That was a gift that I needed to give her. I needed to be patient. Now, the like, what, seven-year mark, I'm like, no more patience. <laughs> we're going to change this up. There's no more patience now. <laughs> worth it. Worth it. Oh, that's actually <laughs> hashtag, hashtag worth it. it. <laughs> uh. Before I leave Katie, I have to ask her about one more of my favorite songs, a song called Frequencies. Oh, Lord, I love that song. That's one of my favorites that I've written. I mean, it's just about being vulnerable. It's a song about um, acknowledging my sensitivities. And the the last verse relates to, to Butterfly. You know, all my years of therapy, all my, like, songs I had to write about her, like, I wasn't fully formed human being yet. I'm yeah. still not a fully formed human being. I'm still figuring yeah. it out. Who, who is a fully formed human being? I don't know. Nobody. 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 <laughs> <laughs> You know what, Kathy? I am proud of you for going to Nashville to talk to Katie. I wasn't nervous at all. I'm lying. I was very nervous. (laughs) Well, good for you. Thank you. And listeners, remember, if you've got something you've been meaning to tell someone or ask someone, but just haven't gotten to it, go to nancypodcast.org slash tell to share with us what it is. That's nancypodcast.org slash tell. Do it. All right, credits are producer. Matt Collette. Editor. Jenny Lawton. Sound designer. Jeremy Bloom. Executive producer. Paula Schumann. Special thanks this week to Melissa Lent. I'm Kathy Tu. I'm Tobin Lowe. And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios. Wait, Kathy, can I also break your heart really quick? What? If our show was Grey's Anatomy, I would be Sandra O. Oh. <laughs> you can be the new gay Asian doctor. Oh, yes. Cast. Thank you. <laughs> Cast on the spot. <laughs>